This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Rice and our amazing guest today is Connor De Bruyler. See, I did it correctly because I made it out. Yay! Okay. Yay, no um, our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits. We're going to get into that. Let's talk a little bit about what we're drinking. I am drinking out of my Papa Bear cup. Coming soon. News coming soon. I did the cranberry. Um, cranberry. Oh my goodness, and I just lost it. And a pomegranate elderberry with the white lightning in it. And it's oh I think this may be this may be war. This may be I was gonna say right that really so you don't know. We have been making special drinks for the four horsemen, and so we've been coming up with all of them, and my attempts at war have been abysmal, like nauseating you choke through them during the podcast. But I think she nailed war. I think I did. I think I did. So you're going to have to try this. It is amazing. It's from Skunk Brother Spirits, the White Lightning, DWA10 coupon code. CR, what are you drinking? Since I know you're allowed to have many, many alcoholic beverages. Yes. I am drinking Pestilence, which is the green tea and vodka with a little bit, instead of the the maraschino cherry juice in it, I did raspberries. So it looks all awesome. I'm not allowed to have glass. Otherwise I would have a fancy glass too. Yeah, so I only have a glass because I stole it from somebody's house. Not going to mention names. Connor, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking a little wild turkey on the rocks uh, in my South Carolina tumbler. Oh, I like and, it. Uh, I like it. I'm also uh, drinking a Finnish long drink. Ooh, Ooh, look how fancy we are today. We're so fancy. Look it's at us. so good. It is. Okay, Connor, so for those that may not know you who are listening, let's talk a little bit about what you write. Uh, Mostly horror, uh, horror fiction. Um, I do uh, have done uh, some hard-boiled detective noir. Um, The majority is horror fiction with a a literary bend. Um, And I I did do uh, a Western once that takes place in Sort of a post-apocalyptic setting so that was as far as i went with uh sci-fi but uh horror cool. fiction is probably the that sounds fun that sounds like a lot of fun some of my favorite genres when did you start writing 10 years old um huh. yeah I'm 10 years old uh seriously um probably maybe 16 i started uh publishing in uh punk rock zines Oh. Um, and small uh, little horror fiction WordPress sites that uh, people had started up on the internet around the mid 2000s. Um, yeah. So what was your first book then? So the first book uh, published uh, 2012, I was 21 years old. Uh, it was a horror novel called Tree Black. Uh, it took place in South Carolina and North Carolina. Uh, about a trans woman that uh, loses her job because of bigotry uh, and she goes up to the mountains with her uh, Cherokee boyfriend who just lost his job as a construction worker and uh, it's sort of a, a woods or kind of a cabin uh, 
queer evil dead sort of deal uh, deals with a lot of uh, mysticism and uh, legends specific to the North Carolina area. So it did great. <laughs> I don't see how it could have possibly, as somebody who grew up in North Carolina, I can't possibly see how that went wrong. Oh, hey, we're about to North Carolina. Uh, Davidson. Okay, all right. I lived Charlotte. in Charlotte. I yeah. lived in Charlotte for uh, about three years. That's terrifying. Is it? <laughs> That's really? the terrifying part. Charlotte is so bad now. Like I would never go back to Charlotte. Daytime, absolutely. Nighttime, no. Uh, yeah, I caught a I caught a show there right before the pandemic at uh, the neighborhood theater in uh, Noda, and um, no, I think awesome. that was the last the last time I went to to Charlotte. Yeah. Wow, Erica, oh. since you're in North Carolina now, you need to check out Noda. Uh, oh, I'm in uh, South Carolina right now. Well, Erica just moved to North Carolina. I'm in so. North Carolina. No. I'm in Silva. Oh, that's North Carolina. Okay. I'm in Silva, which is um, south hey, of I Arizona. love Silva. I spent a, you know, part of Silva is what inspired Tree Black. I'm not kidding you. Uh, well, see, I now I'm going to have to read Tree Black. Just yeah. yeah. Get nice uh, and terrified. <laughs> the book starts in Greenville, and then they go, when they go up to the mountains, they go up to the Silva and Brevard area, Transylvania County. Oh, wow. Um, Very nice. I went hiking there with some friends maybe a year before I started writing that book. And uh, also that's where I last saw uh, an uncle of mine. So that was kind of the setting that I wanted, the creepy. Like last setting. saw like he went missing or last saw like you just haven't seen him in a while? Last saw alive. Okay. That's still but ominous. I was, I was about to say, but like because, uh, unfortunately, because of horror it's not. stuff? No, unfortunately, it's oh. not ominous. It's just very sad. So well, we don't have oh. to go there if you don't want to. But no, no, it's just the way you I as a storyteller, you just laid that out very, very well into an ominous and it's in the mountain. No, unfortunately, no, it was just a very sad situation. But uh, I he wanted to hike from Natahala Valley up in Pisgah and my dad and I dropped him off there. And then a year later, I went hiking there, and I was like, "Oh wow, man! I gotta put this into a story." That's very cool. So, how did you publish that first book? So, I publish uh, most of my stuff uh, with a small press that's based out in California. Uh, they're in Oakland. They're called Muntog Press, um, and they mostly publish dystopian science fiction. And I guess I was, excuse me. I guess I was just uh, lucky enough to convince them, you know, to do something a little more uh, organic and woodsy and not so uh, cyberpunky. That's very, very cool. So did you take a lot of time to research the legends here or did you grow up knowing them from your family or where did you get the legends that um, spark some of the horror parts of your books? Most of it was research. Um, my family is not originally from the South, um, even though I, I grew up here. Um, so, you know, it was all word of mouth research. Um, a lot of it was, when I say word of mouth, uh, I used to go, I don't know if you know what contra dancing is. Um, no. it's, it, it's kind of a hippie scene. Um, and I used to go down to the River Falls shack and it's kind of like line dancing, but it's a little older English style and a lot of college kids and, and older hippies from Appalachia would come down and 
they played bluegrass music and you dance and, and it was a way to meet people. Um, but you know, there, there were these young college kids and then there were these older, like, you know, moonshiny kind of prospector types that would hang out too with their wives and they'd sell like organic squash and things on the side. And you'd get, you'd get stories from them. They'd be the ones to tell you. Um, the other is, you know, researching uh, just the different Native American legends, uh, specifically Cherokee to the area, uh, visiting the Museum of the Cherokee Indian in uh, Cherokee, North Carolina, um, just kind of, you know, it's a mix of, oh man, that's a great story. I got to cannibalize that for a, a book and, uh, you know, and Wikipedia articles, to be completely honest, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a fine mix. Yeah, we used to all make fun of Wikipedia, but I'll tell you, they have some actual <laughs> good information in the last few years. People have done right by some of those Wikipedia sites, at least for, you know, knowledge on some of these things like that. Yeah. So how many books have you, and let's start with how many books, how many books have you released then? Um, let's see, with Montauk, uh, seven, uh, seven, and I think... 12 in all did you self-publish the other ones uh yeah i did i, I self-published a few short story collections when i was still in college um and i as a means to keep a copyright on a screenplay i self-published it as a kindle book because uh, it was faster than submitting it for a copyright so it's on there you can buy it no you wouldn't you know, who wants to read a screenplay, but, you know, that was one way to get a copyright quickly. That's, that's very cool. So what made you decide you wanted to be a writer, though, to do this? Because that's, that's a lot of work, that many books and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it, it's how I, it, well, it's, you know, it's wrapped up in my identity at this point. It's, you know, how I see myself. Uh, I've always wanted to be, uh, I've always wanted to write full time. Uh, that hasn't panned out so far, uh, but I've tried really hard. Um, I'm not the best at self-promotion, uh, you know, learning by doing, starting really young. Um, it, it's, uh, it's my authentic self, you know, uh, it's like uh, Zadie Smith said, uh, writing is the best self, you know, I, you know, I'm real socially awkward with people and you know, I don't always, uh, you know, interact with my immediate family as uh, well as I could. But when I write, I, I feel like I am exactly who I am. Um, so those who would read a book of mine would get the full story. Um, and I, I was always just artistic kid. I just wanted to, to do something artistic, you know, and started out with painting abstracts because I fell in love with uh, Pollock when I was a little kid and then uh, around 10 you know I was like I, I should I should write you know I should start writing and I was you know writing little stories and then publishing in punk rock zines in high school that no one saw except a few incarcerated people who contacted me for them um, for some reason and I don't know why I, I, sub, I made a little zine on, of my, one of my short stories. It was my first self-publishing endeavor in college. And it was just a short story. And I made a little 
uh, printer paper booklet of it. And I registered it with this, uh, this punk rock zine outlet in Tennessee. And, you know, I, I basically said, I'll give it to you for free. You just need to contact me and you'll get it. A couple months later, I get a letter in the mail at the college I'm attending uh, from this very polite person who uh, was incarcerated in some uh, state prison in the Finger Lakes area of New York. And he was like, hey, this story sounds really cool. Can I get a copy? And, um, and I, I, you know, I had to send him one without staples. Yeah, no, I would. What was he in prison for? He did didn't he say, you? and I didn't ask. No, I would assume I something very silly, like drug charges, something you shouldn't have been incarcerated for. But you never know. No, that's but true. That's who likes my stuff, I guess. <laughs> I have a huge fan. A big populace on people who are locked yeah. up. That is actually a very confined uh, group of people that you can have there. It's a um, captive audience. Yes, very mm -hmm. much so. Um, one of the things you mentioned was that the character, the lead character of your first book was trans. Mm -hmm. Are most of your books set with an LGBTQ? Uh, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, yeah. There, I think that's awesome because it's part of what uh, has own voice and bringing stuff, especially horror stories. What has the feedback been like for you on those stories with that? So the feedback, which has been very minimal, has not been a lot, but what little there has been is, has been overwhelmingly positive. I've been really, really, um, really, really lucky to have, uh, you know, there's not many reviews out there of my stuff, um, but what reviews there are, they're always really, really glowing. Um, so yeah, I'm very fortunate in that sense. So I there's something there that some some people like. Um, I don't think I've ever had any really deep criticisms. Um, I guess the form of criticism that I've received has just been the standard rejections. You know, 90% of everything I send out comes back um, and that's normal, that's part of the business. So I, I consider that to be like a criticism, but I've not gotten any, uh, any bad reviews yet and when they come that's fine but you know but so far people seem to like uh you know something a little more intense you know a, a read that's a little bit darker you know in the vein of you know some of stephen king or joe lansdale's heavier stuff uh jack catchem is a big influence for me the late jack catchem um and uh, yeah, the people that like that stuff, you know, the ones who have read my stuff, they're, they're very nice. So I'm very, very happy. That's what made very you cool. want to go ahead? What made you yeah. want to do horror instead of something like a thriller or, or like a mystery or like you said before, well, you did like a dark I detective? Have, I have done. I have done that. Um, my most recent book that just came out, the short story collection, is all uh, hard-boiled noir that takes place in the South. Um, but the thing that uh, got me interested in horror early on was in horror, it's still what they consider speculative fiction. It's, it's in the realm of fantasy. But I noticed that in horror, your characters didn't have to be um, 
space captains or magical fairies. They could be Joe that works at the garage. And you could still have that fantasy element, but all your characters are extremely grounded in realism. So there's, there's a high potential in horror for realism. And most of horror starts in the realm of real, you know, even if it's uh, like a slasher with a bunch of college kids in a van going to a cabin, you know, that's a real thing. You know, we've all been in that van and then made horror movie jokes subsequently. I always think of the commercial. Have you ever seen the commercial where they're like ready and the guy is chasing after him and they're like, where do we go? And they're like, the, the shed full of chainsaws. And she's like, but what yeah. about the running car? They're like, no, the that's Geico ridiculous. commercials. They did yeah. great with those because yeah. they're scary. That's what I think yeah. of. Geico, Geico, Geico is a car insurance company that, that wants to be a sketch comedy show, it seems to me. You know, the you know what? You money. remember the, the the commercials, though. So that's the whole <laughs> yeah. point in advertising: is do you remember the commercials? Yeah, the the cute lizard and all the the puns and yeah, yeah. Geico. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, I was listening to NPR once, and they had a story with George Saunders, the short story writer, and apparently one of his short stories uh, inspired the Geico caveman ads. Oh, really? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was a, a short story of George Saunders, and I, I don't. I'm gonna sound terrible. I can't remember the short story collection. It was Twelve After Midnight. I think was the name of the short story collection. Uh, it was one of the, or it, it might have been Civil War Land and Decline, but one of those inspired the Geico Caveman directly. Wow, that's very cool. So, how did you find your publishing company? Uh, I was just looking around, you know, the idea when I was, you know, finishing high school, starting college, and not wanting to go to college, and not studying anything I was interested in. um, I, uh, I was just looking, the idea that I, to have a book, a physical book with my name on it just seemed, uh, it seemed too much to ask of the world. I didn't think I was I was smart enough or intelligent enough or worthy enough to, to have that, um, that gift. And then I started finding that, you know, you don't have to have an agent uh, in the beginning. There's a lot of small presses. Uh, I started looking at different small presses that were publishing, you know, horror and other things. Um, and there were a lot of them and some of them are still around, uh, Grindhouse Press, um, Bizarro Press, Bound books. I mean, there's a lot of small companies, and this this publishing house, which has since published a lot of of interesting um, dystopian fiction, zombie fiction, um, comedies. They put they published a wide gamut of interesting things. Um, they hadn't made anything yet. They were completely green, uh, and I sent them the, the pitch for hey, I wrote this this woodsy Southern horror novel, is this good enough? And they, uh, you know, it was one of my, it was one of my non-rejections. It was a, it was a yes. Um, and uh, I've been publishing with them for uh, 10 years now, it seems. That's very cool. That's awesome. So you were published 
pre-pandemic, and we're going to touch on that. We have to take a quick break, but and we'll be right back because I want to talk about meeting people in person. Okay, we'll be right back with Drinking with Holly. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. back having the great shopping cart debate of socialism <laughs> um so let's you've been publishing for 10 years so you pu were published pre-pandemic did you go to mm -hmm. conventions or anywhere to no i like that violent head shaking how come oh, you is, that, is that violent head shaking yeah like you're like <laughs> uh no i never did i, I never I've, I've never uh i've never done a signing I've never, uh, uh, I've done some, any advertising was, was usually over the internet. Um, uh, no, no, never. How never, come you uh, haven't taken your books to like a horror convention or something? Uh, I, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really like that scene. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, no, don't get me wrong. It's I think it's great. You know, I'd love to meet Michael Berryman and and uh, you know, uh, I would have liked to have met uh, Gunnar Hansen before he passed away, uh, who was also a great novelist. But um, it's uh, yeah, I, I just uh, you know, I, I kind of went with the uh, the Jandek J.D. Salinger uh, business model for a long time. Uh, I just put my books out there and I assumed that the people who needed them would find them. Uh, and, and maybe that's true and maybe it's not. Um, but only recently I've kind of uh, come out of my shell, so to speak, and decided that, uh, you know, this is maybe something I should, I would want to do for a living uh, because everything else has taken a, a pretty severe toll on me, uh, it seems. So, well, Maybe we'll, we'll talk offline about. Um, I'm gonna drag you somewhere, dude. Yeah, or you become BFS. Sure. I, she drags me to conventions, so like I feel like that is true. I gotta pass the torch. Yeah, they're an exciting know. thing. They're very scary. I did my first one last year. It's weird. Uh, it's definitely something that pulls you out of your shell. So, and it's, it's surprising how many people actually want to see your face. 
Yeah, so Touch. I've been to um, I've been to Heroes Convention in Charlotte. Um, my Ooh. ex-wife uh, used to have a booth there. She she's an artist, um, and her friends are also artists. So I would support them, uh, and I'd go to those conventions. And uh, I met, um, you know, I met some people there, but uh, it was never to promote my stuff. It was it was just to to be there and and be moral support for her and her friends. Yeah, no, it has to be for you, you know? That's where we need to get you so that you're doing it for you um, because yeah. uh, that's how you get in front of people and they find you, I have to say, as part of the thing. As much as we'd like um, people to be able to, you know, find you, um, on the internet and stuff. And there's lots of ways you can do it if you're super antisocial for doing stuff. But I think, you know, horror conventions, horror fans are a really unique bunch of people. They it's actually are, even in loyal. relation to other fandoms. Yeah. You know? I read, uh, I read bloodydisgusting.com. Uh, and uh, I, I love that. Um, and I watch the history of horror and, and things like that. I, I don't keep you know, posters on my wall and things like that. But, uh, I, you know, no, I, I admire that that subculture that it's spawned and uh, really friendly, warm, kind uh, people involved in that in, yes. a, in a really deep way. Um, I, I, think, I think that's why Gunnar Hansen sort of started doing that, that circuit toward the end of his life. Um, he kind of tried to run away for a little bit from being Leatherface um, because you know that's not how he saw himself he was a very serious poet and novelist um, and then I think toward the end of his life he was like you know these people really genuinely care for this work that you've done I'm going to go ahead and 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 do the these these circuits and I think he according to him at least in interviews he had a blast um, Oh, but, you, uh, I think meeting your fans, uh, you know, you've gotten letters, it sounds like, or possibly emails and stuff, but mm -hmm. actually having somebody come up to you with that excitement about your book or about your character, like it's, yeah, but it's a whole, it's a whole level. And should have saw me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to avoid it at all costs, but the fact of the matter is, is that the fans want to see the person that generated a story that they care about you know and talk to them about the story or those characters or things like that it means the world to them and you yeah. know we are we've gone from a, a society where a writer can be in a cabin in the woods and you know send their manuscript to be a carrier pigeon and and get out there that's just not how it works anymore there's so much um uh media out there and so much in put in their faces and so many people talking about their work that you can't just hope that somebody finds it especially if you want a career if you don't want a career and it's just a side thing and it's sort of a I don't want to say a hobby but something you do that's not you know your mainstay then you can absolutely do that but if you want it to be something you you have to get out in front of the humans my friend and interact with them yeah yeah alcohol helps that's true mm, to a to a certain degree most i will say it, most of the time you can't drink in the convention but nobody has any rules about the parking lot so and if you have very good friends sometimes you can get smuggled in 
Sure. Yeah. Say. Yeah. And you make great connections. uh... Like half the time, the people you meet there, the other authors, they're the ones that are like it pulls you out because they're so over the top. I think I think you would have a lot of fun. We could perhaps kidnap you, a fun little kidnap situation, and implant you in a situation like that. I think you would have fun. Maybe 10 minutes after it begins. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Hey, it doesn't matter if it's 10 minutes after it begins. If you can find your tribe and you can find your people. So let's talk about that for a minute. Do you have like a writer's group or are you solo or? Um, No, no, I've never had a, I've never had a writer's group. Um, I've never, uh, no. um, In fact, uh, you know, I only... uh, I think there's only one, one other writer that uh, I think I've ever talked to, um, and, and he left a very very nice review for one of my books, and uh, I later I blurbed one of his books that was also very very good. Um, shout out to uh, Mr. Jesse McKinnell. He's also published by uh, Montauk Press, um, and uh, I've worked really closely. Working closely is a bit of an overstatement. Um, it was a very, very kind uh, filmmaker from Maryland uh, who adapted one of my short stories uh, into a film festival um, uh, submission, I would say. Uh, it got honorable mention. Um, and it was really fun to, to uh, talk with him, over, only over the phone, of course. Um, and he was... Uh, he's actually doing really awesome. He has some awesome content on YouTube, uh, Mr. Sam Lichtman. Um, Very cool. But uh, no, I, I never uh, worked with any other writers. I never had a writer's group. Um, I, I've never, uh, I've never shown my work uh, in progress other than to uh, family and, and close friends. Is that by choice or... Like, you know, not not really. I just I could never find any. I could. I was just always alone in that endeavor. I, I never really found a, a group to uh, to to hang with. Did you do your um, creative writing and stuff in college at all? No, um, I I did all that alone in my dorm, separately from from everything else I was uh, working on. But I will say this: um, I wrote for the school newspaper. Um, I have a mass comm degree uh, from a a university in Rock Hill called Winthrop. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a lot of fun uh, doing, uh, doing journalism in college. Um, I went into the, I went into the office and was like, what's easy? What can you pass really, really quickly with? And they said, well, if you cram a business, uh, you know, you could get a business degree in three years if you cram. Uh, the other one is journalism because you're not going to be writing anything that's longer than 500 words. Usually there's no big essays or long reading. And I thought that's perfect because then I can just slide through school and get it over with and, and do what I want to do in my free time. That makes sense. What about, um, so with the publishing house, what was it like getting your work edited the first time? Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the editor. Um, she only worked for them for a little bit. She was fantastic. 
Um, it was so much fun. I think some people get a little uh, get a little butt hurt sometimes. It's like, ah, oh, that's you don't really understand how sentences work, do you? No, but I thought it was a blast because she wasn't just editing, you know, to make it more grammatically correct. She was editing it in a way that would make it more fun for the reader. And then the scenes that weren't something she wanted to edit, you know, paragraph that she thought was perfect as is, she would say so. She was so warm and kind. And she would, uh, she really gave me some uh, confidence. She's like, this, this scene was great. And I, I just did, I don't get that kind of feedback usually. So I was like, this is, I love editing. This is great, you know. That's very cool. What about your cover art? Where did that come from? Um, so I've, they've always provided really fantastic uh, cover art and they'll, they'll give you two or three options. You know, they'll, they'll kind of brainstorm and throw it on the table. Well, it could look like this, it could look like this, uh, and you kind of whittle it down to what you think looks, you know, looks most badass. Very cool. And how far is their reach? So as far as publishing, you, you know, are they in, I'm, I'm assuming Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Do you have audio books for your books? No, not yet. Um, you know, what I've, I've been doing some of my own independent audio stuff. Uh, where I've been reading uh, my work on YouTube uh, and sort of putting it out as these, you know, sh short stories, you know. Um, but no, I haven't. I haven't had the pleasure of having a full audiobook production. You know, one day that would just be so stellar. I would love to hear that. You know. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, what are you working on right now? So. Uh, Let's, uh, so I have a new book coming out in maybe two or three months. It's a crime fiction book called Hollow Bible. Um, I just finished writing a horror novel, um, pure, pure horror, uh, takes place in uh, coastal South Carolina. It's called Hell, South Carolina. Um, and that's not under any contract or anything. It's just a old manuscript I have on me um, and I've actually been interested in trying to find an agent uh, for the, it's a longer work. It's a little out of step with what the small press I've been working with usually does. Um, and I've been just doing that. And then the other day I started uh, writing, you know, I'm not even sure what it's gonna be yet. If it's gonna be a, a novella or a short story um just how do you start your stories what inspires you you talked about the first one but like as i i make notes all the time different things inspire me i write horror so it's usually real life events and then i twist them in my mind of course to how they're going to go mm -hmm. wrong but where do you get your inspiration from uh that's a that's you know it, it's a it's a it's a flash in the pan that you kind of you catch and you expound on so it's usually it, it usually doesn't come to me full I don't have a you know if I start working on something I don't have a plot synopsis yet um, I don't know what the characters will be like um, I find that you 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 figure that out in the first draft you shape the story in the first draft it, it, you write your knowledge into the story and, um, but what it, it usually happens is, you know, once you've kind of 
built up enough life, um, you've built up enough time, you've been thinking about things, you know, they can be like, you know, I was reading about sodium vapor lamps the other week, uh, you know, really minute, minutia, you know, and you start to build, a, oh, I could, you know, I like that word, I like that idea, I like that mood, and you build up to, you kind of build yourself up to the confidence of starting the story. And it, it usually happens with, okay, I'm gonna start it now. I feel like I have enough there. It usually starts with, um, to me, you know, it starts really abstractly. It's a mood. It has to be a, there has to be a mood there first. And once I have that mood to expound off of, um, you know, it's almost like alchemy. The, the characters come out of the mood. It usually solidifies within the first three sentences. And then you have the template for, okay, I, I know what kind of story this is going to be. This is, I know who this character is going to turn into. And that, that morphs through, throughout the work. And after that, the inspiration's over. After that, you're done. You don't get it back. And then from there, it becomes logic. It becomes work. It becomes uh, connecting these disparate ideas into a cohesive uh, idea. And then as the pages come out, your critical brain forms what the narrative should be, where the narrative has to come from. You know, in that process, I'm not always a thousand percent confident that I even have a fantastic grip on uh, narrative structure. Uh, there's times where I've questioned uh, whether or not I could write for TV or write for um, write for a movie or something um, because the narrative structure presents itself to me rather than something I impose. Uh, and it's sometimes has to do with something as profound as what the character's emotional reaction to a specific situation will be that creates the so then flow of the story. And other times it can be as uh, minuscule as finding the right word, finding the right phrase to enter into one sentence after another. That makes so sense. So do you start at chapter one and write your way through? Mm-hmm. Okay. So do I. There are those who do that, Charles. I know you don't even start anywhere and maybe in the same book you're writing. Um, so <laughs> true story. My writing what style is called chaos. It is. It is <laughs> absolute chaos. Um, what about uh, Story Graveyard? Do you start on this sort of adventure of writing the story and then find it just dies? Or do you always finish? Um, I think when I was younger, I had some things that fell to the wayside. Um, but I've uh, I found that it's all about uh, persistence. Um, you're not going to be inspired every day. Uh, a lot of the time writing is kind of uh, a drudgery. Um, it's not always magical. You're not always uh, completely happy to do it. But sometimes you, you, you change your own mind in the writing process. I sit down and I'm like, 
oh, this book sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, wait a minute. And then three, four, five sentences. I'm back. I'm back. I know what's going on now. Here we go. And sometimes, and then you do have, and this is a real thing, you can sit around for days and be like, well, I've hit the wall. I don't know what's going to happen next. And then it comes to you. Of course, that's the next step. You have breakthroughs. Um, and then, but that's what the second draft is for, is making it look like I knew what I was doing the whole time. But yeah, every single book is the, is the first book. Every time I start working on something, it's like, oh, oh boy, I don't know what I'm doing here. It goes nothing. And you know, sometimes you, know, you always start, you know, uh, I hate to bring him up, but it can't do much. You know, uh, Cormac McCarthy, in the one interview he gave with um, uh, Oprah, you know, he said, you always start out with this idea of the perfect thing and you never quite get there. And that's kind of true. But I also noticed that when you start off, uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, who I don't care for, said the same thing. Um, you know, your, your book is always more grandiose and intense and sweeping in your head. And then when you sit down, the, the, the sobering effect of sitting down and writing shows you uh, how disconnected your inner thoughts really are. And the only thing that's going to connect them to make a, a narrative that a reader can follow and enjoy is, is just slow daily work. It, you know, it's, it's a daily thing. You write every single day, sometimes a page, sometimes a paragraph, um, and it just, it gets there, you know, in Lamont, bird by bird. Agreed. Um, how long does it generally take you to write a novel? Uh, six months to a year. So I, a book I just finished that, you know, is just a manuscript sitting in a, in a hard drive is, um, 60,000, a little over 60,000 words, standard novel, I'd say maybe a year and two months. Um, during the very beginning of the pandemic, I wrote two books back to back in five months, um, because I was initially unemployed and I had all the time in the world to write, and I did. I, I was very happy that I was able to, to use that. Uh, so it depends. Do you write series? No. Okay. No. Um, I like, and I don't have a problem with series at all. Um, I like each individual story, each individual book to be its own self-contained universe, uh, its own artifact. That's just an aesthetic choice that I like. Um, I've read series, I enjoy series, but I've not tried to um, I've not tried to spend time with any of these characters for more than is necessary. Um, and sometimes you like them, and sometimes it's like, well, these it's over now. It's time for them to leave, and I need to meet new people. <laughs> you know? um, the the story I started two days ago I was just thinking this is going to be a short little story it'll be like 3,000 words and about four pages in I was like I really like these guys <laughs> I, I'm not ready to let go yet I'm, I might be in for a full novella this might be a novel now a series you know you just it depends on how many how much you wish these characters really existed so you could hang out with them and and drink a couple beers 
Very true. Okay, Chelsea, I'm going to give you the final question before we have to wrap that up. That was this my episode. big question, though. That was it? You want me to take the final question? That was my big one. Yes, I've been itching to ask that question. I love that you're holding your mouth. That's a story. I'm trying not to smile. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. None of this is funny. Just kidding. It's all funny. Um, so final question for you. What would be your ideal like if you could um, decide your writing career? What would that look like? Uh... I could decide my writing career what would it look like um i would be able to afford a, a mid-range apartment or townhouse uh i would have a car and i would be able to uh, take a vacation once a year and uh, i would have enough money to uh, occasionally shop at whole foods uh, so that would Just be Just to mine. say you did it. I like it. That's a whole level up right there. The shopping at Whole Foods, man. Yeah, that that would be, uh, you know, if I could be financially uh, stable with a small apartment and a, and a nice car, nice car meaning one that runs, um, and I could shop at Whole Foods instead of Aldi once a week, uh, I would have exceeded my wildest dreams writing. Okay. Makes sense, my friend. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. What is the book that just was released? So it's called Return of the Death God. It's uh, 13 stories. Um, only one of them, the title story, Return of the Death God, is supernatural. The rest are hard-boiled uh, noir or, or just, just plain literary realism. Very cool. And then how do people find you? Like your website uh, and Facebook and stuff. So I don't have a Facebook. I don't have a website. Um, I'm on oh, Goodreads. Connor, my friend, Connor. we're going to talk. We're, we're going to have talk. a talk in this. Yeah, we're going to talk as uh, soon as we're we got done you, with this podcast. I, uh, I have a Goodreads. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you could buy Return of the Death God from uh, really just about any place that sells books. Barnes & Noble, Amazon um thrift books alibris uh there's some i found it on some japanese websites i found it on swedish and australian websites anywhere you prefer to buy books uh it is on return of the death very cool it has been terrible amounts of fun to have you on this podcast my friend oh thank you yes absolutely okay we're going to talk about shameless self-promotion and hopefully when we broadcast this we can add your shameless self-promotion to the um, episode notes so pay attention for that fans out there this has been drinking with authors i've been your host erica lance my co-host has been the only slightly injured cr rice our guest today has been connor de bruegler said that correctly our sponsor has been skunk brother spirits dwa10 is the coupon code and we will see you guys next time